Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gass, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our very mobile, very agile, somewhat hostile <laughs> education events coordinator. I'm getting all the fun adjectives. Emily Kroll. Emily, <laughs> welcome. I'm having a great adjective day, apparently. So, uh, very mobile, yes. Um, so, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Not anything... I guess too big. It's been kind of quiet, which is a little different, but um, a couple things that I think are very interesting and worth talking about. And let's jump right in. Start with our dear friends, the United States Supreme Court. They took a, a case. Um, what's the name of the case? Catholic Charities of Philadelphia v. I don't know. It was about the Catholic charity in Philadelphia and their v, adoption. V someone in government in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. V someone. V someone. <laughs> um, so the United States Supreme Court, by a unanimous 9-0 decision, decided that the, uh, their, and this is not necessarily our issue some, so much, but kind of interesting to read the tea leaves. So 9-0 in favor of uh, Catholic Social Services who wanted to run an adoption agency um, in, the, in Philadelphia but was forbidden by the city because they refused to, uh, was it, um, they refused to update their policy to do an adoption with, say, a gay couple. Yeah. Uh, even though no one had actually... Tried. Tried um, because they weren't going to change their policy. city of Philadelphia sued. Uh, lower court and the circuit court said, oh, that's fine. The Supreme Court said 9-0 that you have to let Philadelphia, the Catholic Social Services there, continue to do adoptions. So I guess from our standpoint, more adoption agencies are good. Yes. And Catholic Social Services, they do a lot of adoptions around the country, so that's good. Um, what, it's one point for freedom of religion and conscious rights. So right, which is a major a concern, mm -hmm. and so one of the issues that the Supreme Court was maybe going to address was a case called, uh, it's called the Smith Decision. Um, it's got quite a long title, I forget the name of the case off the top of my head, but basically the idea of whether or not the First Amendment free exercise provision covers a lot of stuff or just a little stuff, and actually you kind of find... Uh, Antonin Scalia was the author of the Smith decision who, um, his decision really sort of curtailed uh, religious freedom. And so when you see news items about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, which we will uh, get into in a minute here, uh, that was passed as a response to the Smith decision, which was about, uh, I believe, the use of peyote. I think so. Um by uh, a Native American, and so, and back then there was a broad consensus to protect religious freedom and, and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RIFRA, was, Clinton signed it into law, I think it passed, if not unanimously, close to unanimously. Yeah, it did. And, um, but we're in a different place today. Very different place. <laughs> but not the Supreme Court. 
So 9 and 0 in favor of Catholic Social Services, but uh, <clears throat> 5 and 0 in favor of getting rid of Smith. They didn't do it in this case because uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and even Stephen Breyer said, we're willing to get rid of Smith, but we have to have a different case to do it. Although Stephen Breyer kind of hedged their decisions. So, you know, when the Supreme Court releases decisions, uh, it can be, you have the majority opinion, but then you can have up to nine. Everyone can have their own opinion. People can sign opinions. People, you know, two justices can agree on one thing and whatever. And so Amy Coney Barrett wrote a concurring opinion. Brett Kavanaugh joined it and, this, and it said, Stephen Breyer joins in everything except the first paragraph. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of weird, but I think the tea leaves out of this is that, you know, I, this is how this Mississippi, Mississippi case is going to really hinge. So you kind of have Neil Gorsuch, um, Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas are the three amigos and they're going to, they're the good amigos, the good amigos. Uh, and you have kind of. Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh kind of what they get dodging, <laughs> yeah, like dodging their way. Like how fast are they gonna move? Going um, from bush to bush, right? Know, yeah, always in cover. Probably still a little careful because they had controversial yep. nominations and they don't want to be seen as mean. Um. And then you have, of course, you're going to have the three pro-abortion judges who are impervious to reason when it comes to the issue of abortion. And then you have John Roberts. And which direction is the wind blowing today? And, and on this Catholic Social Services, it was, you could call it a very narrow decision based on the contract. And that was Chief Justice John Roberts who made it that way. So, and the interesting kind of like the pol the political power play here is so the chief justice assigns who writes the opinion and has great control if only if he's in the majority mm -hmm. if he's not voting in the majority it is the uh senior most justice and so on this mississippi case if john roberts chickens out and it's a vote of five to four then good old clarence thomas is the one deciding who writes the decision and that sounds like Clarence Thomas deciding, oh, you know what, I'm writing a decision, goodbye Roe. Yeah. If Chief, so Chief Justice John Roberts, if he wants to, you know, oh, we can't overturn Roe yet, we gotta, we gotta go slow, we gotta do this, he might vote with the six, assign it to himself, or talk, talk Brett, you yeah. know, uh, talk Brett into writing a decision saying, Oh, well, Mississippi's law can stand, but we're just going to end with that. Yeah. So, it's an interesting situation. And even though Clarence Thomas is not the chief justice, he does have right now how he has, is positioned. He has a whole lot of sway on decisions and opinion writing in the Supreme Court, which is, I think it's a good thing because Clarence Thomas is pretty solid. Clearly the leader of the three amigos. Clearly. <laughs> Although, you know, he and Alito, I don't almost always vote together. Gorsuch, most of the time. Kavanaugh and um, Barrett really seem to be... Yeah. We gotta come up with a term for them. 
Yeah, I'll think of something. What's a, what's a cop term? You know, like a, I don't know, like a, you think of a, you know, two cop partners. Anyway. I don't know. Back to more serious topics. So we, we mentioned RIFRA and uh, Relig- uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, Nancy Pelosi, was it was the House, right? Yeah. Nancy Pelosi, in the dead of night, tried to sneak through a bill uh, that would affect how the VA, so the Veterans Administration, provides health care to veterans, uh, would reimburse people for contraceptives. Of course, the problem is there are several methods of contraceptives that are would be included that you could, uh, that there's pretty strong evidence that they would uh, cause a child in the womb to die. Namely, thinking IUDs um, and emergency contraception like Plan B and Ella, depending on, you know, what, at what point in pregnancy uh, or <clears throat> what point the uh, Plan B is used. So, uh, this got shot down in the House. They tried to suspend the rules and you need a two-thirds majority. Um, they didn't get the two-thirds majority. Uh, brought it out of nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Because we didn't even hear about it till after it was rejected. The next morning, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, this kind of go, goes back to the Hobby Lobby decision and, and, you know, the Green decision. You know, there's people, there's companies that, you know, maybe they are fine with, uh, you know, paying for their employees this type of contraception. But other types, uh, you know, like Little Sisters of the Poor, you know, that cause abortions, they don't want to have to be forced to pay for them. And Rights Life Michigan, we would agree. You, you shouldn't be able to have to force someone to pay for something that could take the life of an unborn child. And so um, that bill didn't pass, but they're going to keep pushing on that. Um, I wonder if that is unlike... The Hobby Lobby and Little Sisters and Green Decisions, those were all mandates forcing a company to pay for it. But when it comes to taxing and spending, I don't know, I don't, that argument doesn't fly as much. And no. they can broadly force you to pay taxes for whatever you want. So yeah. it, would be, it would be an interesting situation if someone could find a way to somehow get standing in a court case against that but we have yet to see that happen either way it just shows us the tactics that the pro-abortion people in our congress will go through they'll try and sneak something in in the middle of the night and name it something that is completely disguising what the bill is actually about and it's the rainbows puppies and butterflies act yay we're gonna sneak this pro-abortion bill through but we're gonna say it's for veterans affairs so all of the conservatives and the people who are pro-life are gonna vote for it because it's about taking care of the veterans luckily it didn't work but it just shows the the disguising and diversionary tactics um, and how we need to we need to pay attention to every little thing that our Congress is doing because we need to stop things like that from happening. And luckily, this one was stopped in the dead of night, and hopefully, the next ones will be as well. Important question, Emily: Why do you hate veterans? <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Speaking of dodging questions. <laughs> yes, right into our next topic. Wow, these actually are pretty oh, actually organized. <laughs> okay. So uh, one reporter, I believe an intern, 
yeah. with the Media Research Center, uh, asked House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a press conference a really simple, highly relevant question, considering uh, the Supreme Court is taking up the Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Uh, Women's Health Organization? Yes. Okay. Um, hey, Nancy, is a 15-week unborn child a human being? Well, first of all, <laughs> no, she, she can I have I have a lot. What does she say? I have... A lot of support for Roe v. Wade. I have, yeah, I have a real strong support. And then I have a lot to... Oh, I'm a mother. Yeah, so, I'm a mother of so this I, many children. So I have authority and expertise. And uh, next question. And next question. <laughs> so basically, oh, that's a terrible question because I can't say anything, so I'm going to say nothing at all. Basically, we already knew she supported Roe v. Wade, and she can't, because if she answers that question truthfully, which is yes, an unborn child at 15 weeks is a human being, is alive, then she's going to basically lose the rabid support of the pro-abortion base that supports her. And if she answers it no, then her Catholic support is also going to be angry. So she was really in a bad position with that, it would be nice if she could have been honest, but we know, based on her decisions, how she, what bills she has brought to light, what causes she is active and, and an activist for, that she does not believe. Or if she does believe that a 15-week-old unborn child is alive and then is still so rabidly pro-abortion, that is disturbing. So I think, you know, a great topic in conversations is on any pro-life issue and obviously you want to do it respectfully but anytime you get in discussion involving abortion I, a great question to always ask the other person is when do you think life begins because um, you'll get a, a great illustration of kind of where they stand um, the answers to that question will range from, you know, if they say, well, I don't know, then, you know, he's like, well, maybe you should look into it more, you know, I'd be happy to talk to you about that or give you some information. Uh, some will say, well, I think, you know, by the time they're viable, whatever, they're human beings. And then it's like, okay, that's, okay, so you would disagree then that abortion should be legal, um, after viability, you would believe that that's taking a human life unjustly, right? And hopefully they would say yes, and then you can come back and say, well, because of Roe versus Wade, we can't really do that. Um, that's why you should be in favor of getting rid of Roe versus Wade. I have to say, honestly, Emily, when they will say stuff like that, when they'll put that dividing line somewhere in pregnancy, and you kind of press them on it really sticking to that and adhering to that, they won't. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Like, they'll say, oh, yeah, it's definitely a child by the time it's viability, but you don't want to legally protect that. It's like they really don't believe it, what they're saying. It's like they have this internal discomfort with abortion, and this is their way of, like, rationally trying to explain it, but they can't bring themselves to to get to the right point. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, too, how many people, if you ask that question, will say, oh, well, when the heart starts beating. And so, 
And it's, it's shocking how many people are just completely ignorant about fetal development because the heart starts beating by 21 days. So three weeks in mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a heartbeat. And so, and you bring this forward to people and they're like, wait, what? Most people who really don't know a lot about fetal development will think that the heart starts beating at like 20 weeks or something like that. And it's just viability and heartbeat are not the same date. <laughs> Emily, I'm going to have to correct you here. It's not a fetal heartbeat. Oh, yeah. It's fetal pole cardiac activity. Yes, yes, yes. I forgot. The cells aren't fully aligned. Right. There's a tube and it's vibrating. That's what's going on. And it, it's pumping blood. Sure, sure, sure. This tube is, uh, you know, folding into four chambers. And yes, you know, it's pumping fluid, and yes, it's located, you know, on right there on the left side, you know, on the child. Um, that's, that's not a heart. No. No. <laughs> and it's, it's not really that beating you hear, you know, that boom, that very regular beating mm -hmm. that you hear. It's just accidental, and that heart wall is not organized yet. And so this beating that you're hearing, it's, this isn't a heartbeat. You know, this is just cardiac activity. That went a little weird, but true story. That's what they're saying. So, and we talked about that in the podcast. Before. I mean, really, I know really early on in a Doppler, yeah. like this is a regular heartbeat. This yeah. is clearly Look at organized activity, but their capacity for denying reality is infinite. Because if you accept that as a heartbeat, that you are ending the constant, structured, rhythmic beating of a human heart then you are admitting that you are stopping a human life. And no one wants to admit that because it's a horrible thing. Thankfully, still a horrible thing. Yeah, for now. Right. Well, speaking of the capacity for self-deception, let's talk about uh, an article in Miss Magazine, which I thought was pretty interesting. So... Uh, sometimes in the pro-life movement, we talk about the economics of abortion, which I think is going to be a bigger issue down the road because as people become more aware of the effects of our demographic crisis and even in the last couple of years, you see mainstream media publications like frankly say that China's in trouble, you know, Japan is in trouble. South Korea. South Korea. You don't hear South Korea so much, and they have, like, the worst birth rate on the planet. They're paying people hundreds of thousands it's, of dollars to one. have children. Their population is going to have every generation, which is catastrophic. But um, you, you see these publications start to mention it, and so there's, like, this dawning awareness that all of this population freakout that we've had for like 200 years now was pretty silly and now we've gone too far in the other direction and that's how kind of in the pro-life movement we kind of talk about the economics of abortion we have a great uh, fact sheet called destroying our future which is not really in-depth but just really touches on a few things gives you a couple facts to impress people at cocktail parties you know you're just having a discussion about the issue of abortion and you're like or economics so let's talk about yes that's true um which sometimes it happens they they coincide I've, they work together i've told this story on the podcast a long time ago but i was at a graduation open house a couple of years ago and uh the 
this couple was talking to a family member who had, uh, one of my family members had been to China, and she was just talking about how great the one-child policy is. She just offered that up there, you know? And it's like, I wonder what she thinks now that China's on there too. I mean, three, I mean, what are we on? Four, I We're don't on know. three for We're probably three the for next now. six months. Yeah, uh, China's on their three-child policy and is begging people to start having children. I wonder if she'll change her tune. Probably not. No. But anyway, uh, Miss Magazine had an article, a pro-abortion article, and the kind of the focus of the article was two things. So one of the focuses with it was that there's this group that wants to try to educate people more about the economic effects of pro-life laws and how bad they are and the economic value of abortion, which I think is pretty interesting. And their frame for explaining this new focus of education they want to give is uh, they tried to do a study that looked at the cost of pro-life laws. And the article in Miss Magazine really kind of glosses over the fact that their argument is that these pro-life laws make are preventing women, well not preventing, but stopping women from having abortions. And that therefore these women are having babies and they're not working or working so much in the labor force. And so they added up the economic effect of these pro-life laws, which they say don't they don't actually end abortions, even though they just they don't stop they don't decrease abortions, even though they make it harder for women to have abortions, which it's a weird argument. It is. It's also a false argument. When you make something harder, some people are gonna stop doing it. Yeah. You ever wanna look at something weird, look at donation uh, look at a donation page online and see how like at every step in the field, like people like a huge percentage of people just give up. Like they filled in their name, they filled in their address. Zip code, ah, oh, skip this. I'm Too not hard. That's, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe that's you. You're listening and you're like raising your hand. I've done that. I've done that. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't, but. It's like I have to put in I'm my weird. email address. Too hard. Nope. <laughs> so they're kind of tacitly acknowledging that yes, pro-life laws lower abortions. And their argument is this is bad because women aren't in the workforce. Um, and so their study claims that pro-life laws, Emily, you and I, are costing the nation $105 billion a year wow. in gross domestic product. We should, that's almost criminal. They should maybe punish us. I don't know. Right. I mean, they want to. So, but. yeah, yeah. So, so for the low, low price of just one human life, you too can have prosperity in the workforce and we can all do better, Emily. However... Economics 101, trade-offs. There is a future. Trade-offs, <laughs> trade-offs. Economics is... The marginal It's the dismal cost. science. It's always the, uh, the opportunity cost. What are you giving up by doing this or that? And so, Emily, um, the really stupid economic focus of this study is that if we get all these women abortions, they'll go in the workforce and they'll work. And America will make $105 billion uh, a year more in productivity, Emily. However, until there's no one else to work after this generation. <laughs> However, Emily, yeah, uh, you know, uh, people don't live forever. Nope. People retire. Mm -hmm. And Emily, unless I'm mistaken, 
actuarially a say 25 year old woman is going to retire before a uh, child who is at birth, right? Given the long term. Yes. Probably 25 years Probably. earlier. Just yeah. on average. On average. I'm spitballing here. The math kind of right. checks out. Um, and a child, if I'm not mistaken, the odds are fairly high that they're going to get a job and do stuff in life. I, that's an accurate assumption. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and they're going to be doing that for longer than their mom is because yeah. the mom's older. Mm -hmm. She's older, right? That's how it works? I think that's how it works. Okay, I can do math. 25 minus zero. I've only got 10 fingers. I don't know if I can count that high. Yeah. So, anyway, um, when you kill a child, you're killing their productivity. Like, this is basic 101. Mm -hmm. And if you add up the 60 million abortions that we've had in America, and all you do is you just look at the average gross domestic product per capita, so how much each, on average, American produces in a year, and you multiply that times 60 million, and that's $3.9 trillion. Now, obviously, some of those children aren't going to be old enough yet to be in the workforce. But some of them are old enough to have had children of their own. That's true. That would be in the workforce. We're yeah, we're missing an entire echo generation because of Roe versus Wade. So basically, Emily, these bright economists who did this paper are asking you to trade $105 billion today. They should be refunded for their for dividends. For an already $3.9 trillion that we're missing. Mm -hmm. Now, Emily... I'm not good at math, but is 3.9 trillion higher or lower than 105 billion? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's higher. So if you do the Davidification of it, I'm pretty sure if that were like $105, that would be like $3,900, right? Am I yeah. doing that math right? So Emily, if I said, I'm going to give you a raise, I'm going to give you an option, Emily, I'm going to give you $105 today, or I'm going to give you $3,900 today and more in the future, which would you choose? I would choose more money. You would choose, are you sure? I, yes, I As am As a sure. woman, do you feel differently than, say, my manly view of, you know, I would rather have, you know, four grand than a hundred bucks? Yeah, no, nah, I think it's the same. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it, it's just, it's absolutely insane. There, there's, honestly, they need refunded for their economics degrees if that's what they have because they obviously did not learn economics in school if that was their conclusion. But, Emily, you know, a lot of people, and we all do this in our own ways, but a lot of people make a lot of, bad short-term decisions that are gains and it's long-term losses. Like last night at 1130, I had chicken fingers and fries. <laughs> I didn't need to eat that. No. Nope. It was bad. But I ate it. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. However, I, I did not end the life of a child. True. And pretend that that was making me richer. Um, so I doubt there's going to be much future uh, that study didn't get a lot of attention outside of Miss Magazine. I think a lot of people kind of would implicitly realize if they started doing that how much pro-life people could uh, pro-life people could criticize them. I think people would easily understand that 
you know, getting women in the workforce because of abortion, you know, is not a long-term economic boon. I mean, the argument is, I guess, they should be able to do whatever they want, and that's sort of pro-choice mindset. I don't think the we need abortion to make ourselves rich thing is going to fly. No. I doubt it. Well, before we go, I just thought we would mention that we have uh, two job openings in our Grand Rapids State Office. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, you know, get your resumes in real quick. I think one of them, the deadline is today. Um, and they're also looking uh, for, and that's joining our department. So you could be on the podcast. If you like the podcast, you could be on the podcast. Uh, and we're also looking for a graphic designer as well. So everything we make is beautiful. And you can help make it and keep it beautiful. Yeah. Make Right to Life of Michigan beautiful again. Does that imply we're ugly? No. But if keep, we don't if we don't find right if we don't find a graphic designer, then we'll need then, someone yes. to make it. Yeah, yeah, then it will be again. But for now it's key. Right. So if you're interested in those, just go to our website, rtl.org, and that's of course where you can find information on a plethora of other pro-life topics. Alright. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy this Michigan summer, and we will see you next week.